welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds. So this week we have uh, a friend, uh, someone I've been watching on Instagram for a while, uh, Eric Rosa, who has a Instagram account and twi- Twitter account, Twitter, Twitter account, uh, students, uh, students of history. And he has really great stuff and he's doing really great stuff in the classroom. So I reached out to him and he was kind enough to say that he would do the show. And so I'm going to guest him in right now and we'll start taking your questions in just a moment. Luke, what's up, man? Hey, how you doing? I just called, I just called you Eric in the introduction. I'm not really sure why I did that. Ah. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's right. That so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel like there is an Eric Rosa. There's got to be there's got to be at least one in the world. So maybe I thought he was going to be on instead. That happens. So, look, could you uh, maybe talk a little bit about like who you are, where you teach, what you teach, what your situation is? Yeah, for sure. So, um, high school social studies teacher. I started down in Tampa, Florida. I got my start. Uh, Taught about four or five years down there, and uh, was kind of in the situation where my department chair was the football coach and he was much more concerned with football than he was with uh the social studies department and just basically handed me a textbook and said go and that was quite an adventure down there uh at florida schools are their whole situation uh then i moved up here to northern virginia and i uh, taught in a couple schools here it's basically all the social studies subjects uh, and i also uh, tried my hand uh for a week at being an administrator realized that was about enough time for me and then I became a school testing coordinator which I actually enjoyed it sounds like a terrible job but um, it was doctoring all the standardized tests and ensuring standardized testing went smoothly at the school um, and then I um, took uh, taking a year off to set up this website of social resources that I kind of created over the past 13 years and was just going to focus on that because I really wanted to make sure that it was going to be kind of successful for everybody. But my wife and I had a baby in June, and she's a teacher also. She's a special ed U.S. history teacher, and um, she was like, uh, "I don't know, if I'm going to be ready to go back to school in August when school starts, um, and I, so I'm going to need a long-term sub." I was like, oh, all right. And I was like, what's that tone in your voice there? She's like, well, I was thinking you could be my long-term sub. Suggestive tone. You're taking this time off. Why don't you uh, be my sub? Because, you know, the beginning of the year is so important. And you don't want to just hand that off to to anybody. So that's what uh, is going to be happening. I'm going to be, uh, I've taught, team taught social studies uh, for years now. Uh, where I'm the gen ed teacher and then you have a special ed teacher in the room with you. Uh, but I've never taught self-contained special ed where it's a small group setting. So I'm familiar with the subject for sure because I've been teaching U.S. history for a long time. But this yeah. is kind of a new transition for me um, in the fall. And so I'm hitting her up with lots of tips. And uh, that's kind of my goal for the summer is uh, learning how to be a special ed teacher because I will be for about the first month of the school year for the first time. So how long how long have you and your wife been teaching? Uh, she is about seven, eight years. I'm going on uh, 13, I think now. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, uh, that's yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah. So how many years are you at? Uh, what's that? How many years are you in? 
this will be my 12th this year. Okay. When I go. So, uh, yeah, and, and my school, the staff is so young. I'm the oldest, I'll be the oldest teacher in my school this year um, at 40. I feel like I'd be like right in the middle at any regular public school, but I am. Sure. I'm the old guy. So when everyone goes out to dinner together, I know that I'm that old dude that I used to laugh at. <laughs> You're the wizened veteran who can give advice to all the... Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, I, I, I posture myself as the Gandalf instead of uh, <laughs> the old guy. That's, Excellent. That's so, so listen, uh, folks that are watching real quick, the thing we want to kind of open up with is just, just what Luke was just talking about, this idea of like, transitioning into something that's new because I know a lot of you have hit me up in, with emails or messages and talked about how you're maybe your school's making you do something new maybe you're challenging yourself with doing something new or you're feeling a need that that needs to be met and so that's where I'd like to take this in the beginning so if you have any questions about that go ahead and leave them in the comment section here on you now or on YouTube and we'll answer all those questions that we can so what is like what's like the number one thing about this transition that uh, excites you and or concerns you? Uh, the exciting thing is kind of getting back into the classroom after taking a little bit of time off um, through being a testing coordinator and then taking that time to set up the website. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm really excited uh, just because over the past, I feel like just over the past even six months, a very short amount of time, uh, the, the network of teachers that I've connected with, like you mentioned on Instagram, and, and Twitter and Facebook has just exploded. And I feel like I've learned more in the past six months than I did in, in years before that uh, and gained more ideas uh, for the classroom where I, I, I write them down. I have notes, I have pages and pages of ideas and notes of things that I wanted to try out and things that I want to do. So I'm hoping I can squeeze them all into the short time I do have uh, as, as the, uh, her long-term sub there. Um, and that's, I mean, I'm, su I'm super excited about that. I'm probably most nervous about, um, like when you're a self-contained uh, special ed teacher, you have kind of students with all different needs in that classroom. And without um, that certified special ed background, I wanna make sure that I'm getting everyone accommodations right. Like, am I, how much time do you devote to making sure students gain the concept while also, it sounds like, Covering your curriculum can be a real struggle when students take a little bit longer um, to master a concept and you want to make sure your students are learning it, but you also have that curriculum timeline that you have to get through. And I know that's something my wife has struggled with for years. She doesn't want to just move on to something without the kids having learned it before or mastered it really um, yeah. in her class. Uh, so that's probably the number one thing I'm kind of most concerned about. Yeah, I think that's. So this year, so maybe two years, two years ago, I started uh, teaching the reading class in, in my high school. And so these are guys that typically come in with, uh, they're either undiagnosed in a number of areas or they have IEPs or they have behavior, their own behavioral plans and stuff like that. And so they couldn't keep a teacher in this class. And I really asked sort of like, not like you exactly because it wasn't my wife, but I really liked the woman who asked me to take over the class and I thought I would do her a favor, but then I had a co-teacher in there with me that never stayed. Like I, I went through four in two years and they just either quit or like wouldn't hack it or just didn't show up anymore. And I thought it really started making me like help myself because I thought, okay, what am I doing these people? Like they can't come back. 
the work. And last year, my friend, Miss Yonkers, who had been in Hawaii, for some unknown reason, shows back up in Philadelphia. And, and I'm like, you have to take this job because I need you to come and teach this class with me. And we had the most successful and fulfilling like four months at the end of the year, which is usually like the countdown to madness in school. It was just, yeah. it was awesome. It was the best class. And it really made, helped me to start to see like how students are so often they're, they're not like on a lower level just because they lack some kind of skill or they just, you know, it's not that it's, I think it has so much to do with like bolstering self-esteem, making them feel safe to even admit where they are so that you can bring them up to where they need to be. And so this next year is that class with the two of us in there on full steam and it's been a lot to prepare for and it's funny like how much you just can't prepare for either like you think you know what you're getting into but just like i feel like a little bit like that first year of school where you know you thought you knew what you were getting into but you didn't really know until that first day came and you're like oh this is what's actually like this is yeah what class management looks like so yeah yeah and i'm the type like I, i realized early on that um, I, I need a I, I have to prepare a lot for each class. Um, I need to make sure I have all my lessons planned, that I've kind of planned out the day, that I've planned out the week, uh, and early uh, in order to kind of really feel comfortable going in and, and, and make sure I'm, I'm confident in each lesson and kind of the goals that I have for it. Um, I think it was like my second or third year, maybe after my second year of teaching, we were doing this summer camp for income. Come riding uh, ninth graders, so incoming freshmen, and it was called Go AP, and we were encouraging the kids to uh, take higher level classes and that sort of. We had the kids for about a week, I think, and um, I still remember this, even though it's like ten years ago. That they were at lunch, and me and the two or three other teachers who were planning it were talking while the kids were at lunch, and we were supposed to have this guest speaker come in right after lunch, and he didn't. He like texted and said he couldn't show up. And the kids are coming back for lunch in 15 minutes. And that was our plan for the next, like, 45 minutes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? I was, like, freaking out. I was so scared. Like, we have nothing to do. We're, we're screwed. We're, like, everything's going to go to chaos. And yeah. the other teachers were kind of in a similar kind of mindset, but maybe not as freaking out as much as me. And the uh, like, co-teacher, the kids start walking back in. She's like, um, all right. All right, she just kind of takes control and says, all right, take out a sheet of paper and uh, write your name on the top. And I want to write that, write down a goal that you, and like, like she was coming up with off the top of her head and I was like amazed. I was like, how, and it was like the most well-planned lesson for the next 45 minutes. It's like, how did you do that? That was amazing. I, was like, I could not do that. So ever since then, I was like, okay, that's not me because I can't just come up with some amazing thing off the top of my head and go with it. So uh, I was like, okay, but what I can do is plan and come up with it at home and make sure I have that final lesson in my head ahead of time. So uh, that's kind of what I've taken as a teacher is like everybody has their strengths and their weaknesses and has their style. And my style is to be kind of like taking the summer right now to plan out everything I can, like going through lessons and making sure they're as thorough and and as possible. And just I found that's, that's kind of really worked well for me. And once I realized that, it kind of let me free in the classroom and, and kind of gave me more confidence in that I know what the lesson's going to be and, and kind of I know it's going to work well because I've spent so much time on it. Yeah, that's a really good point. And um, so, and I think that's 
something that just came up when I talked to a colleague recently was this idea of like when you're younger and first starting out, you want to be like uh, all those teachers that you sort of idolize and, and put on a pedestal. But very quickly, you start realizing that like you might there might be no chance you can be like that person. And that's because you're not them. And so you need to pull from your own strengths and think, well, what am I good at? What what? how can I relate to the kids? And that is uh, probably more worth your time than like just trying to emulate someone else. Yeah. So I see a question on here. So let's uh, let's jump into some of these. Christy C asked, my, my class is project-based and I encourage, and is encouraged to partner up with students or kids are encouraged to partner up with other students. Kids do coding projects. What are your thoughts on how to teach a class that is low leveled and has high leveled students oh so there's a big mix in there and you partner them how do you do you do a lot of project-based learning or when you do that do you partner the kids do you partner them do you let them partner themselves what, what do you think about that uh yeah good question that's a lot of the classes i've taught where um yeah in fairfax county where i taught they they did away with honors classes for a while so it was just either ap or on level uh so as a result in your on level classes you had um and the team taught you had uh, kids who had like learning disabilities who were in the class. Then you had kids who maybe could have been AP, but just don't want to take the AP class. So it's kind of a wide range there. And I found I, I would mix it as the year went along. Sometimes some projects require you to pair them up, like a, maybe a higher achiever and lower achievers. Um, sometimes they go random just to mix things up. And other times you let them pick their own groups. And I found as doing a mix like that, kind of gives the kids, uh, they enjoy it when they're own partners. And then, but you're not always doing that and you're ensuring that the, the, all the kids in the class kind of have a chance to succeed. And maybe some of those projects that are, maybe a, are a little more in depth or you think that your, your lower level students might need a little more help with it, making sure I pair them thoughtfully with the right students who will help them and who will not just take over the project and do it themselves, but making sure that the, the work is kind of evenly distributed. Um, but I really want, I, I really think you need to like mix all those different strategies instead of just going with one all the time. You can never just let the kids pick their groups all the time. Um, but if you mix, then you kind of, it, it kind of keeps things fresh too, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know, the, I think the hard part with that sometimes is there's not always an even mix of like the, you know, higher level kids and the kids that are struggling or really kind students and really meek students. Like sometimes there's a lot of unkind students. You might be a little heavy in that part of the class or you might be really heavy on kids that are really quiet and don't want to engage. But I, I think my strategy on that in the past has been to just be on the offense more than you're on the defense. And what that looks like is walking around the room and telling students that are in groups, maybe on the side or, or publicly, like, hey, I put you in this group because I think you're really good at, you know, reading aloud, or you are really good at like taking notes and noting things that people are saying because you're such a good listener. And maybe on the low, kind of talking to kids about, um, and this could go for high level or low level kids too, right? So like, if you, if you have someone who's very high level in the class and maybe should be in honors, but you know, they're not for some reason, you say, I put you in this group because I really think you can help bring the people up that are around you. I think you're a really good student in these ways. And I think you can do that same thing with kids who are on a lower reading level. Maybe they're a really strong personality. You say like, 
you know, call some good out of them as well. So they can kind of start taking ownership of those groups. And when the kids take ownership of the groups or they start to bond, then you really have something there. So I think, you know, just kind of pumping those kids up. And sometimes it's hard to do that, but you really have to find something about everyone. And, and that can make more kids excited about like being in the group with one another. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I found sometimes it helps in, in those kind of situations where the kids might have, have roles within the group where um, the project says, okay, you need one person to do this, one person to do that, another person to do that. And making sure that each person in that group has a role because sometimes those quiet kids will just get overwhelmed but if they have a specific responsibility as part of that group and maybe you find ones that allow for different strengths in the group uh, the kid who's a good writer the kid who um, speaks well um, to the rest of the class then yeah. um, everyone knows okay this I'm part of a group but I'm responsible for this aspect of it and they're going to contribute in that way yeah, I, I totally agree. And I see a lot of people kind of commenting on that inside saying like, like calling out the strengths and students and letting them all know that. I think that just goes back to that piece about like, you know, that's, that's so key in every class is like letting kids know that like you notice them. I notice you, you're great. And this is why I think you're great. And so let's take it from there because then with that self-esteem booster, I think they can just start accomplishing stuff. Uh, Senior S's Spanish spot asked, uh, my question for Luke is, do you, how do you get your students interested and engaged in history? So, um, I don't know. I don't teach history. So, <laughs> what's your thought on that? Um, so, I liked history as a kid, but I was never in love with history. And I think one of the um, things that really helped me uh, to kind of make history more interesting for students was to... Uh, that I, was the fact that I was not an over like a gigantic history nerd that I kind of have an eye for what engages students and what aspects okay maybe we're not going to spend as much time on and picking those really interesting tidbits from history and uh, finding just good anecdotes to tell about people making them seem real kids love stories that humanize people and that kind of bring historic characters, just little quirks that you might pick up in a book here or there. There was a great website that doesn't exist anymore. You'd think all websites exist forever, but it was called Anecdotage. And you could type in somebody's name and I would type in like Napoleon Bonaparte. And it had all these short anecdotes and like funny stories about them. And I loved this website. And when I was like my first year's teaching, I would take all these little great anecdotes about them and just tell them to my students, my kids loved them. And it would really humanize all these historic characters. Um, so I don't know why that, yeah, I don't know what happened to that website. I loved it. Um, but uh, things like that. And then just games in class. Uh, my students always struggled with vocabulary, and then I started doing uh, vocabulary football just because I learned competition. Kids love competition, and if they're competing with each other, um, that's great. I put them on teams, and then that team is playing another team in the class in the vocabulary quiz. And then was the first time I had, like, they had to, like, do definitions in their notebook to kind of get ready to uh, the vocabulary. And I had like one sophomore say to another kid, like, did you do your definitions this week? You better do it. I don't want to lose again. 
again. I was like, whoa, the kids are in good. I'm, I'm not saying that. They're telling each other to do the homework. That was awesome. Uh, so I started doing that year, um, every year since then. I do a lot of um, kind of projects. I mentioned that project-based learning. Um, things to just kind of keep things fresh and keep it exciting. I try never to do too much of the same thing each time in class. Um, a lot of time to let kids voice their um, give their voice in class and tell stories and ask questions and um, try to try to just mix things up as much as possible. Kids will get bored. Even if you're playing fun games every single day, kids will get bored with it. And you just have to be fresh every day. And you have to kind of have something new each day that I found. Yeah, that's, I think that's totally key. People get into their kind of routine of how they're doing stuff. And then like, before you know it, I mean, I feel like you get bored too, right? Like if I did the yeah. same thing every day, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm doing the same exact thing again. This is going to yeah uh beck bexy rail i'm gonna i'm gonna go with that she said random question i thought this this is interesting uh i i'm assuming she's a student she said do you find anxious or disabled students annoying i always i'm worried that my teachers hated me um you know that's i think that's that's really interesting question because like i get a lot of students i had someone write me recently that said that they have an IEP and they're in high school and they're afraid they'll never be able to become a teacher because they have like, they're so low in math or something like that. And um, I just think it's really important for teachers to, to voice how like, no, they're not. Like I, I realize like as a, as an adult, like you realize that kids are dealing with what they're dealing with and, and there are certain like limitations that that might bring up for them. So I have guys that have, let's say like someone has ADHD in my class and they have a very hard time staying still or, keeping their hands to themselves or they can't stop from looking around the room. I think it's the teacher's job to try and help you work some of that out. I don't think they should be getting like annoyed at you or, or hating, definitely not hating you. I mean, sometimes yeah. you can't help get annoyed at people, but like you could definitely pretty sure you can not hate them pretty easily. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. And that's something, that's something I learned. And um, I think it comes with experience as a teacher. I remember my, I think it was maybe my first or second year teaching because it was right after Napoleon Dynamite came out because that must have been like 2008 or so. I remember that because I had a kid who just, I mean, he couldn't sit down. He was like walking all over the class, very nervous. And like, and since I was so new and experienced in my classroom management, it's not what it was, you know, I, 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 it bothered me. I was always afraid the administrator was going to come in. So anyway, so we finished a quiz one time and he was really brilliant kid super smart and so he finished the quiz probably 10 minutes before everybody else is going to finish and he's walking around his table just doing circles and i was like oh my god i don't know what to do here so i did of course what you're not supposed to do i drew the reason i know about napoleon dynamite i drew a liger on a, a, a notebook paper and folded it up and said hey can you go bring this to mr haynes class like because it was we had just seen the movie and i knew it would crack him up I was like, just to get him out. So he's like, okay. And as he like walks out the door, he he looks back into the classroom and pulls out a Mexican wrestling mask, puts it on his head, and runs. It's like, oh my gosh! And then of course, five minutes later, an administrator brings him back and, and says, "Did you send Tommy?" Uh, he said he, this was a, a note that he had no. to give. Just... <laughs> so like. No, of course. Of course it's going to get stopped running through the halls in a Mexican wrestling match. But, I mean, at, at the time, I didn't know, you know, I didn't have that kind of just way to just think of something naturally to kind of get him back on task and something else or have another activity. 
be ready or, or get him started on something else. And once you become more comfortable in the classroom, I think those things become more natural. Whereas something like that now, I would never just send somebody out of the classroom or I would never get annoyed so quickly. I'd have more understanding of my students and I'd probably have something ready for him to go. Or even if I didn't have something ready, I'd, I'd think of something and I'd give him a task in the classroom or you mean I just have him sit by my desk and talk to him and kind of get to know him a little bit better. Um, but once you kind of get your in your comfort zone in the classroom, I think those sort of things come more naturally to you. Yeah, and I think when you're not afraid you're just going to lose your job all the time either i feel like the first year i was just like nervous like oh my god i'm going to lose my job they're going to is it yes whole debacle is the worst and so when you realize that that's not going to happen you are confident enough to like try some new stuff and so students that i've had in that almost exact scenario before you know i just give them jobs in class all the time or i will have them run errands but you know i try and have like something like could you actually take these books to someone else because I've done that same exact thing that you're talking about with like, uh, I'll say, hey, can you go ask this teacher for my stapler? And then that guy knows that I don't, he doesn't have my stapler. So they'll send that student somewhere else. And it's just, yeah. you, you know, it's, you're just so scared of what could happen when you're, when you're early on. So yeah, I, you know, yeah. it's what happens. You, you, you make, yeah. I think that's hilarious. I mean, now, but uh, yeah, that's awesome. So Jess Lockwood asked, I'm on my boyfriend's account. Okay, Jess. Uh, my name is Ashley, and I am going to major in early childhood education. Do you have any tips for me, studying-wise, or just any advice? So, what kind of advice in terms of like, I don't know, what worked for you when you like getting ready to teach? Um, the just spending as much time in classrooms as you can. I learned so much more doing classroom observations I think than I did uh, in my education classes and I had great education classes but you want to see as many different teachers as you can because sometimes I like you mentioned you have that ideal picture of just like a dream teacher who has this amazing uh, ability to capture all students um, but there are a thousand different styles uh, unlimited different styles of teaching that engage students and you might never think of an activity or an activity that might engage students. Then you go see somebody do it and you're like, wow. And then you pick up that, that skill or that ability or you take strategies from here or there. And I just remember having to observe a lot of teachers in college. And then um, my uh, second school I was at up here in Northern Virginia actually did a cool um, thing where we, uh, uh, over the course of the four semesters, we had to observe different teachers in the building and I think it was called the five by fives. We had to visit five teachers and observe them for five minutes. And in the first quarter, it was within our department. And then in the second quarter, it was somebody um, in our in our grade level. And then after that, it was somebody outside of the whole school. Um, and I learned a lot just looking at the scene at other teachers. And that was after I did talk for five or six years. Um, just seeing different styles that they had and different subjects and different ways to engage kids. I don't think you can observe too much. There's no way uh, that the more you can spend time with other teachers and watching teachers teach, I think is it's, it's only going to help you um, even better. Just you can never you can never spend enough time in a classroom observing other teachers. Yeah, I, I think that can work in kind of an opposite way also where you're seeing things you don't ever want to do like maybe you go yeah. in and you're like this is never the kind of teacher i ever want to be in my life and maybe that person is really effective but they're really strict or they are uh very 
everything comes um, like the same way every day. The students do kind of the same thing, or maybe they're just mean and not fun, and it reminds yeah. you that those teachers still exist. Yeah. One of the things, take that a step further, that I've talked to colleagues about doing is like going to other schools. So even when you start teaching, if you can maybe work something out with your school where you can take a half day and go to another school and see like on the other side of town, what does your exact class look like at a different school? Because sometimes you get really used to what your school is like or what your class is like, and you can't, you can't even fathom something different happening somewhere in the world. So that really, really helps sometimes as well. And I think going back to her question, like making relationships with your professors, I mean, it helps you stand out. It helps you be a real human being. It shows your interest and being really interested in like going and talking to your professors about stuff. It really helps. Yeah. Yeah. And they're um, great. They generally, professors generally know people in schools because they're placing a lot of people for observations and internships. And I mean, the more people you can get to know, the better, especially when you're looking to get hired. Those uh, professors yeah. can be great contacts for that. Oh, and knowing people is everything. I mean, like, <laughs> I know everything. so many teachers that got a job somewhere just because that was like, you know, someone they knew in high school or someone they kept up with in college or the professor did make a phone call or that's where they student taught and they made a really good impression. Like that stuff is huge. Yeah. Uh, my, I'm, if no one's watched this show before, I will butcher just about any name, even if they're super <laughs> easy, like when I called Luke, Eric earlier. But Mopi, Mopi Artie, I'm going to go with. Hi, everyone. It's 3.35 in the Ukraine, but I'm watching this stream. Thanks a lot, man. You're awesome. And I really appreciate awesome. it. I love, I love the internet. Uh, a cool. question I wanted to ask, what is technology that you guys use in the classroom, if you do, and what apps help you in teaching? Do you guys use a lot of tech in class? Uh, yeah, I love. I do a lot of Google Interactive Notebooks. Um, I found that um, uh, kids really engage well with that, and I think it's important to teach teach kids technology. Uh, I think we a lot of times have this uh, notion that kids are aces at technology. When I kind of found the opposite that kids don't know, like when a kid doesn't know the start button on a Windows computer or kind of how to just navigate the basic, you know, Microsoft programs or, or, or programs that you use in, in the real world. You know, they're, they're masters at a smartphone, but basic kind of workplace technology, they're, they're not experts at. So a lot of schools around us are starting to go one-to-one. Um, my wife's school uh, did last year, and so she started to integrate more technology um, and would use um, uh, Quizlet Live was a, a fun one the kids love to do. And she did a lot of Google Classroom activities um, as well with the kids since they have their, their lap, every kid got a laptop. And um, they would try to use them as much as possible. Um, smart boards are everywhere around here. Um, I'm not sure if that's the same in Ukraine, but um, once, once we kind of got one of those, it's a great way to get kids kind of up and uh, kind of doing different touch programs where they can come up and, and touch and move things around. Um, a way to vote, to drag things to different sides. Yeah. Um, a lot of online review games I like. I like to do um, a lot of the, the Google notebooks I'll have um, use different online resources. I'm big on primary sources. 
And there's a ton of websites that have students can take a look at real primary sources and kind of really helps them to see images themselves and to kind of poke around at, at the different photographs that the, the National Archives um, have a lot of great resources online. I just kind of like kids to kind of get a feel and really kind of look at them and analyze them online. I felt like really helps. Yeah, I, you know, so in ninth grade, I teach, uh, so after, if you get through ninth grade at my school, prior to take four years of Latin and not everyone's always down for taking four years of Latin. So a lot of dudes leave after ninth grade. Um, but if you stay, you, we, everyone gets a laptop. So in ninth grade, we don't have laptops. We have carts and sometimes those are like accessible. Sometimes they're not, sometimes there's something wrong with yeah. them. But so I don't use a ton of technology, but what I do try and impart on my students is how to do basic things. Cause like you said, like kids think they know a lot about technology, but I have guys that like, don't know how to send a DM on Instagram or check, you know, uh, to send a proper email. basic things as well and I try to talk to them about how to use either a laptop or whatever device they're carrying around in their pocket like how to use that to the best of your ability so if someone asks me like even simple questions like you know when was Mark Twain born I don't know like ask Siri real quick like she'll tell you <laughs> yeah. way faster than I could ever look it up you know and yeah and I, I think kids don't always realize the power that they have there the websites I do use in class, um, I use a website called Toondo, T-O-O-N-D-O-O, and that allows you to make comic strips, and a lot of times we'll break down parts of books, so say we're reading the Odyssey, and I'll say, I want you to tell me about Odysseus's time on the Cyclops' island, and break it down into eight frames, and it's a lot easy, it's a lot more fun than like drawing pictures or just writing out a review, and they have to like find characters to put in there and pick a backdrop and it also helps kids that don't feel like they're artistic to be a little bit more artistic and i use the new york times website all the time they have great lesson plans on there and they'll yeah. pair an article with a video that they have and have discussion questions and i never use anything that they have like completely but it's a really good starting point if you're trying to come up with lessons because in, in my experience too I teach all boys and teenage boys would much rather read something that's nonfiction, like a, like a magazine or a newspaper article than they would like a, a book of fiction. And someone uh, recently, there's a YouTuber on, on YouTube, because that's where YouTubers are, but she is, uh, has a channel called Too Cool for Middle School. And she was telling me about CNN has tons of great lesson plans on there too, which I never knew. Well, they'll like, allow you to report on news or they'll have something breaking and it's really up-to-date content that you can pull right into your classroom and i think as a new teacher when you don't have all those tools and you can't just pull a lesson out of nowhere it gives you a really good starting point to do that kind of stuff. Um, yeah it's answer the question guy from ukraine awesome <laughs> um, green green is anger I'm gonna go with that. Uh, what do you do for your first year, or what did you do as a first year teacher when you were hired late and given the weakest subject to teach? Man, uh, I was hired the, the weakest subject class. to teach. What does that mean? The weakest? No, what, kind of. Could you comment and say like, what do you teach? Are you teaching Latin? Because I feel like <laughs> is that weak? <laughs> that's, it's just like 
it's hard to get kids pumped. I have I have people yeah. that I work with that do it, but I feel like it's a daunting task. To, to oh, I had to teach my first year. I had to teach honors economics, and I literally had never taken an economics class in my life. I was history. I got my degree in history, yeah. and I was teaching honors. I mean, thankfully, um, this school uh, honor, honors was not much better than regular, and. Yeah. And it was seniors, so they were eighteen, and I was twenty three or twenty four. Um, I was I was a chapter ahead of them the whole like the whole year, barely a chapter at times. And it was just a matter of like coming up with anything that could. I mean, it's, you just have to know that it's a struggle your first year, um, and a weak subject or not, you just gonna you just have to realize that everyone struggles their first year. And kind of reach out to as many people as you can in the cloud in, in your building for advice and for tips and for strategies, anything that works. You kind of just have to pick everybody's brain. You kind of have you have to take time for yourself. Um, you have to kind of experiment and and if things aren't working, feel try try something totally new. Uh, keep kids on their toes. Like change up your whole your whole routine. You know, everybody talks about routines and keeping is not just if it's not to do try anything and just know that you're going to get through the year and everybody struggles their first year and you just it takes i mean i think it took me three years probably before i really kind of felt comfortable and i don't think i really hit my stride teaching till years four or five was that I, when i really kind of felt excited and super comfortable in the classroom it just takes time nobody uh starts off you know creating incredible lesson plans it just it, it takes a while and you just have to kind of get as much be as flexible as you can empathize with the kids try to get to know them as much as possible um you know get to understand learn about your students and try to understand them and just find ways to kind of meet and the content together find ways that will engage them and and try new things and don't be afraid to try new things yeah, Luke, you're saying like every single thing that I am always <laughs> preaching all the time. Like I, that's exactly what I would say. Uh, you know, if I was gonna take it like another step, um, I would say try among. And I'm not, I don't push positivity just for the sake of pushing positivity, right? But I think there's something to going in and, and knowing like, hey man, I'm gonna make the best out of this that I can. There's no chance it's gonna be perfect, but. If you go in with that mindset, I think when you do ask other people for help, it becomes the difference between being a problem solver and having like a growth mindset and being like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. I'm such a fraud. The kids are going to figure me out. Like the, the truth is I still teach some days and I think I cannot believe someone gave me a job. Like I'm, a to like I'm an adult. I have a job. I'm in here. But I'm really like I don't know how anyone listens to me sometimes. It just it, I there's still like that sort of like insecure teenager sometimes it's just like dude i don't even know what i'm doing in here but you fake it and then eventually you see that like the kids will listen the kids will learn the kids will trust you you will make relationships you will like have really great days and when you do you just know that there are more of them to be found so i think staying positive will also show the other teachers that you're worth someone, you're worth vouching for, right? So at the end of the year, even if you have a really tough year, if you kind of stand tall, 
the principals always go to the other teachers, right? They always come to, to any of us that have been around for a minute and say, what do you think about so-and-so? Or like, how do you think that, how do you think their year went? Like you, you've seen them in the hallway, you've seen them in the staff lounge or something like that. And if you can show everyone that like, the kids aren't going to get the better of you or the job or the amount of time you had to prep isn't going to get the better of you, people will stick up for you and they'll, they'll want to help you. They'll want to see you succeed and become part of the community in your school. So I would just do that. And yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, that guy said, I'm a math guy and I was given grammar. Oh, bro. <laughs> <laughs> think of it. I would think of it also as a challenge, right? Like, so yeah. you did something you never taught before like become the best you possibly can and i probably if you email me i probably have which is just real rapid with the reynolds at gmail.com i can probably hook you up with like some websites or some resources from folks of, of like friends at school that can help you out with that stuff so go ahead and do that and i'll see what i can hook you up yeah there's a guy i know uh um uh, who uh, is called Creative for Learning? It's kind of his his website, and he has a thing called the Grammar Ninja, and the kind yeah. of really neat ways to engage with grammar. Um, and if you Google Creative for Learning, um, you'd you'd find him out, Jonathan and his wife, and uh, that that'd be one that I, I know off the top of my head that kind of is he knows ways to make grammar interesting much more so than I would. Yeah. Um, this question's got to be for you because I've been cool since I was about eighteen years old, but. Uh, B10GGG asked, uh, how do you balance being a cool teacher while being stern with your students and gaining respect? It's the biggest thing that I'm worried about. How do you stay so cool, Luke? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know that I was super cool, but I mean, like, what, what helped me was, and this was totally out of my comfort zone, because um, I was not super into high school, but when I came from Tampa up here to Northern Virginia, I got, uh, I had extra period in my schedule at the start of the year when I first got hired and the leadership student government teacher was leaving and they were basically like, okay, you're going to teach this or you're going to take whatever one fifth of your salary and not get paid because you wouldn't have that period. I was Ooh. like, all right, well, that's an easy solution. I'm teaching that yeah. class. And so it was the, the leadership student government classes like planning pep rallies, the, the homecoming, uh, student dances, all this stuff yeah. that I would oh. never do, right? Like this is like completely out of my comfort zone. Oh. Uh, but it really taught me something about like connecting with students because I, I had to participate in all the spirit days and the dress up days. So every dress up day for spirit week, I would dress up in the most outlandish costumes and outfits. And I would be at every student event and I would be in charge of the pep rallies. And it, it really kind of gave me an avenue to connect with students that I didn't realize before. And it kind of gave me some respect with students because they kind of saw me on their side because the student government was kind of, you know, making sure that kids enjoy school and doing different activities around school to make kind of it enjoyable for students as opposed to, you know, the administration cracking down on rules. So that really helped. Um, and, but as far as I never, like once you kind of, once students get to know you, they, they're not gonna, I don't think they take advantage of you when you when you show them respect and you get to know them and you show genuine interest with the, in, in them and you relate to them. And when, and those kind of simple things of me dressing up 
um, for spirit days and, and going to events and being at the football games and the basketball games and things like that kind of show the students that I, I care about them. And, it, and it's a very simple way, it's a simple thing you can do. And once I kind of got to know those students, I, I didn't really have those issues. And it's not a matter of like being cool, it's just like getting to know them really. Um, one, of the, one of the first times I realized that was I had this kid who, this was like my maybe third year teaching, who I just never kind of found a way to like talk to about that. He was a offensive lineman on the football team, like big, huge guy, hardly did, did just enough in class to kind of pass to stay on the football team. And then football season was over. I did even less. Yep. And yep. he, uh, just, he just was quiet. He never talked at all. And then he blew his knee out, like, busted ACL. That's something I've done three times in my life already. So he he was, he came in, I could just tell he was scared, he was depressed. I mean, football was his life, and he and when you're 15, 16 years old, you blow out your knee, it's a big thing. So I just stayed after class with him and just told him about all the ACL surgeries I had, and how, you know, it's nine months, you come back from it, it's, it's this, and like, he went from being just never talking in class to kind of doing well in my class and it was just that taking that that time to get to know him and he was scared and I kind of eased his mind about that about something that was really kind of you know he was really worried about and it was a powerful moment and after that he was an awesome student in my class and it was just yeah. it just took that kind of moment of connections to reach him there so yeah making that, those connections with students are huge that stuff is unmatched I mean so I have had students with very similar issues were like, uh, I had a kid that was having a really hard time in class. I tell the story constantly. People have probably heard it by now if they, if they pay attention to my content. But like, I had a student a few years ago who would just do nothing in class. I mean, nothing. Head down on his desk all the time. Like, you'd ask him to do something or sit up. He'd sit up for a second and then he'd slowly like slink down in his seat and he would disappear. And so, at one point I decided, I told me he had detention and his detention was he had to eat lunch with me every day for a week. And during that week, my wife would pack him a lunch every day because he never ever ate. And I don't, I don't know why, I don't know if that was a choice or if he just didn't have it. So my wife would pack him a brown bag lunch and write his name on the front and then write like a little note on the inside to him every day. And then every day we would just talk about stuff like, what's your favorite movie? What, what do you want to do when you grow up? Uh, how many people do you live with? And just regular stuff and through that, he just started telling me more and more kind of about his life. And I feel like it just kind of gave him, gave him the chance to vent about a lot of things that maybe he didn't feel like he had a safe place to, to do that otherwise. Now, I think he went from zero to 10 in my class and is now still one of my number one dudes that like, if I need help with something, if I'm going somewhere, if I get tickets to something, like I just call this dude up, he's my guy, but Initially, after that, I did have a moment in class, and I think a lot of teachers, and I think this really speaks to this question, is what happens when that student does something wrong, and how do you address it? Because now if you're cool with with everyone, like it's hard to be a disciplinarian when everyone thinks like you're friends. And the yeah. way that I always kind of deal with that is to just, I always tell kids like, look, your education and well-being is my primary concern and I'll do anything I have to do to make that happen. So if that means I gotta get loud with you for a minute or if I have to talk to you like like one-on-one -on -one and be stern for a moment or 
lay into you a little bit that if that's coming from a place of like you need to know that that's coming from a place of love and that i really just want the best for you more than anything and i'll be whatever type of person i need to be to make sure that you succeed and kids that that goes a long way i mean that's like because you, yeah. they'll see that like all right you know i they i get that and, and i've had a lot of success with that exact conversation yeah. Um, Katie, you'll, I, my wife is whispering, my not-so-secret wife who sits next to me every week um, is whispering to me that this is the second part. She said, Katie Huell said, what are your favorite social studies apps and websites? We kind of touched on that again, but you could just read it. Oh, she's saying that's why she, the second part is the second part. Okay, so it says, what do you wish elementary teachers did to prep students for high school social studies? So what do you lament, what do you... Uh, you damning the elementary teachers. <laughs> this is funny because like, there's teachers who always say, what did these kids learn in middle school? Like, they didn't learn yeah. anything in middle school. And I heard middle school teachers like, these kids aren't ready. We can't do anything with them. How can we teach these kids when they're not prepared? Like, I, 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 I never stress out about that too much. Like, I just like, like take kids that come into my room and, and teach them the best that I can. I never worried about well, I wish they came in with more of this or more of that because it's just another thing. Okay, this is what's what am I going to do? Okay, I'm going to help teach them writing. I'm going to help teach them uh, web skills. I'm going to help teach them uh, to critical reading, things like that. Um, I, it's not a case of, wow, I wish that these younger grades, they learned these sort of things because um, I just see it as part of, it's a part, a part of what I, what I teach. Um, I know I, kids really struggle with writing that I've seen. I mean, even the the kids who write well, it's just you just like, can you please read that out loud? Like, read that out loud to me and tell me what, like, that it makes sense. Um, because uh, th but, I mean, there's adults that I get emails from coworkers that dude, this doesn't make any sense at all. Um, so I mean, that that's just might be a, a, a problem for everybody, but. Um, I, I don't worry about that. I just worry about what the, 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 the you know the, the kids come in and are ready to learn and whatever I teach them, I teach them. Um, just do the best job that you can and, and teach what you think the kids need to learn. And if everybody just does that and cares for the kids and teaches what they think to kind of get them most ready for the end of the year, I think we'll all you know everybody will be happy. Yeah, I, you know I, I like I, I kind of I don't know this is selfish, but I kind of like when students come in and. Uh, back to school and I always have these really concerned moms because the students my guys have to read five novels within the school year and then we still do poetry and short stories on top of that and they'll come in they're like look my, my kid he hates reading and I, I just think awesome like that's the best answer I could get because now I just get to be to shine right so like if if eighth grade set the bar so low that you like hate English class even better because now I just want to like crush it that year and really have such a great time that you know, it will maybe change that trajectory and so and i so i know that's selfish because it's like because it's hard if someone had something someone awesome in eighth grade and then they come to my class i'm like and they're always comparing me like oh well mr stone <laughs> class was better because he did this like, yeah no, i hate that guy but um you know i i think that you could just a lot of things are just changing your perspective on how you choose to look at them like just think of it as a challenge just like the guy that has to teach grammar now instead of mathematics <laughs> yeah yeah is that ukrainian grammar that could be even trickier yeah oh, that I, that could be 
better or worse. I have no idea. I don't know. That's a different one. Okay. Uh, one swim chick asked, any advice for people going through an alternative teacher license pathway? Are there any specific tips for trying to learn the education side of things? That's really great. Do you, do you ever, I don't know what type of school you're at necessarily, but like, do you get folks that are like doing an alternative track at your school or have you known anyone like that? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of teachers are doing that nowadays. I had My wife just had an intern um, last year who um, is in his 30s and is getting into teaching now. I I had to somewhat go through that because um, uh, I took, I majored in education in college or second, I majored in history with a, uh, a history as well and I couldn't do the internship so I had to do, um, I ended up with just a history degree instead of a history and education degree and had to go through, um, after working at another job for a couple of years, had to go through um, the non-licensure route. Um, but I think, I think, I think that gives you a lot of skills because you generally are coming from the, the real world, whatever you want to call that. You've worked at a different job. You haven't been in education your whole life. Um, it gives you some outside perspective um, that I think is really valuable. And I think a lot of schools are, are hiring those teachers nowadays. They see that as a skill as well. And it's just a matter of kind of getting that, that teacher background ready and, and you know, passing the tests and generally you have to take some other kind of class requirements that they might have you doing. Um, but I don't know, I think what you gain from that kind of outside experience almost makes up for what you might have missed in terms of uh, the education classes in college that you didn't get. But those are, so much of it is on the job learning anyway. You know, you have all these strategies. I learned so much about how to write a lesson plan. And I don't think I've ever written a lesson plan with objectives and that met standards since then. Um, that maybe it's just supposed to be what you're thinking about as you're planning the lesson. But I learned way much more, much more on the job than I learned in those education classes. So uh, I, I do it. Every state's different. Do what you need to do for that state. But, but go and feel confident that you can still just be, as, there's amazing teachers that come in their first year um, from all sorts of careers outside of education. Yeah, I think, I mean, sort of back to what we were talking about before, like going into other classes and, and learning from other teachers is big. I didn't start teaching until I was 27. And so I, I don't know if, if uh, she was like younger or older kind of doing that, but you know, in my, like I, I still went to college. I went back to school and I got my post-baccalaureate certification. So I did student teaching and all that, but I was older. And what I felt like that did was I had a little bit of life experience, not much, but like I had been places and seen things and had other jobs. And I knew like what, what else was available besides teaching. And I just feel like that informs your whole practice that sometimes when you're 22, like sometimes that's just too young sometimes to start teaching like you're really close to the kid's age or you're you haven't seen or experienced things yet and that could be a detriment to you now i think some people come in at 22 and they just kill it right away and great for them but i i would look at it as a strength coming in like with a little bit of background knowledge even if that was like you worked at you know kmart for 10 years and you hated it and you became a teacher like awesome you know what you know you know something whether yeah. that's how to deal yeah. with other people or how to work a job that you maybe don't like or something like that so yeah i think it can be a real asset to, to your teaching yeah 
Rebecca Baker said teaching history for the first time in Hong Kong next year. Any tips for teaching ELL students who are in the same class as native students? Any tips on not? Uh, that's kind of awesome and envious yeah. that I want to teach in Hong Kong for a minute. But I had no idea your show was so international. Uh, it's fantastic. I'll tell you what, man. Comments on YouTube. You get comments from people, they'll be like, hey, I teach in Vietnam, do you have an idea for this? I teach in New Zealand, or for some reason, the wow. Netherlands and Scotland, like there's tons of people that watch, and I'm like, this is, it just makes it so fun, because you yeah. know, you think, you think what you're doing in school is so, like, it's so much the same as everywhere else, but it's really not. Like, it's yeah. so, the world's so different how they view things. So, what, uh, what would you tell someone that was yeah. gonna teach? Um, well, that's, I, I actually worked um, with ELL students the, uh, this past year. I was volunteering um, in a school uh, here in Fairfax that was it's like 80% um, students either in the ELL program or who were in the ELL program or came out of it. And I was working with um, generally like year ones, year twos, uh, for the most part, kids who were brand new to America or in their first year in America. And uh, kind of what I learned was these students need, they need great visuals. They need to uh, have something that they can kind of see because so many kids, they need to see, they can't just, you can't just be having, giving them notes or talking to them. They have to have that visual to match with the work because they're learning English as they're going. They have to um, kind of practice their writing. You have to give them time to, give them time to talk in class. One of the yellow teachers that I worked with every day would start off just with like hello everyone how was your day and then every kid would have to say something about what they did like last night or that day or something like that and then she would go around and talk to all of them and kind of make a paragraph out of it of like what everybody did that day and then they would all read that and it kind of made it about them and it was just like a fun activity that maybe didn't have to do with the lesson but it kind of got everybody like Get to, to get to know each other well and it got them speaking on something that was very simple because it was generally a simple question like this weekend i played soccer this weekend i did this this weekend i did that and i, I really like that as kind of a warm-up activity um getting kids to work together to kind of help them pairing them if you have the ell kids with some of the stronger kids like we talked about previously in the groups might really help uh with those students um, graphic organizers as much as you can because like kids just tend to just write and write and write and if they have somewhere to organize their thoughts work really well with ELL students um, uh, kind of, yeah, strategies like that so I, when I'm thinking of this I, I, I'm thinking of a couple of things and um, I'll tell you I, I don't you're saying so much of the same stuff that I would say and I don't know that I've had a guest on so far that has done that, that I'm just like you just go. We'll just go to the next question now because uh, Luke said. <laughs> but in in my experience, it's it's also when you're doing all those things like building small wins to kind of build kids' confidence up. So teaching sometimes like when kids are on a lower being level, it's like everything that's made out there is like to teach little kids. Like they assume that first and second graders are going to be learning this and not just kids that are 15 that are on a second grade reading level. They're trying to figure out ways to kind of like make stuff that is 
for smaller kids uh, seem like it could be for older kids. Like, so just be yeah. mindful of that. I'm not sure what that's going to look like for your students, but I'd say to figure that out, get to know your students as much as you can. Now, that's going to, that really, really, I mean, speaking of like being of people watching from all over the world, a lot of teaching strategies are so different in different parts of the world. So you're going to want to talk to your colleagues also and see like what has worked for them. Because I, I just remember I had a, a like a long term, like it was a, a tutoring center that I worked at in New Jersey one year. And all of my students were first year immigrants. Their parents were all from China and they were the most focused students I ever had. Like I'm used to like getting maybe 50% of my homework handed in every day. And this was like everyone's homework was done, but like super well. And that's just because their parents like held that kind of like, uh, they just expected that sort of, of progress from their, from their kids. And, but making relationships with some of my students in that tutoring center was very, very hard. And that's something that I know is one of my strengths. I've never had a lot of real problems like connecting with kids like whether they were six months old or whether they were you know 18 i just that's something in me that i'm able to do and so to not be able to do that with students it was like i really had to reassess what other strengths i had so i'd say go in kind of humble and be ready to like try some stuff and if that doesn't work like see what else you're good at and what that you know could maybe how the kids could benefit from something else that you do well in but uh, definitely like learning the culture, learning the people, who their parents are, what kind of school it is. All of that's going to just inform what kind of teacher you're going to be sometimes. Uh, one swim chick is also asking, thanks for all the questions, one swim chick. When I tell people that I am thinking about teaching, they immediately ask me what grade. What are the, are there any big general differences with teaching science for middle schoolers or for high schoolers? Uh, I don't know. So let me ask you this first. Why did you pick the grade that you picked? Because I think that kind of informs that question a little bit too. Uh, well, I just picked high school and I think I just, I, I was always threatened about what middle school would be like and that it was just raging hormones and that you don't want to do that. So I picked high school and then once I picked high school, you kind of get stuck. You, it changes year after year. Sometimes I'm teaching freshman world history or juniors US history. It could change year by year, whether you're teaching grades nine through 12. Um, but I've kind of since over the past, like I keep like getting tempted about middle school for the past few years, ever since we, we had a faculty basketball uh, team and we would play uh, kind of other schools and, and it, it would make an, a nighttime event out of it. And then we started playing our feeder middle and elementary school teams. And so we play our, our middle, and, like we would have to beg kids to come to our our games after school the middle school when we played our our feeder middle school the the right the kids would come up to us they were there with signs for their teacher holding them up cheering for them like like all enthusiastic there was a bunch of them i'm like i had to beg kids and give them a free ticket to come and they like me these kids like all they they love their middle school teachers they're so they were so enthusiastic they were cheering for them and giving them high fives and then when we played our elementary school, it was like being in like Cameron Indoor Stadium for like a Duke game, like rowdy, crazy 10 year olds yeah. cheering and you're like the enemy. And they're like have signs and they're like going crazy or throwing stuff. They're like yeah, noisemakers. So ever since then, I'm like, 
you know, like I think middle school, like, okay, they're younger, but they really look up to it. I feel like they love their teachers. They get so much enthusiasm for them. Uh, so I'm getting more tempted about middle school and wanting to try that for a different experience. Um, Cause it was always a little scary to me, but now I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by it. But kind of with, with, with older students, you get to go into more depth with things. You get to, they're more mature, so you can have greater debates especially in a social class, you can talk about kind of what's going on in, in politics, which is so easy today, or, or you know, comparing historical events is very easy. Um, I, I, I think there's a lot of benefits with middle school students too. I think they have an eagerness to learn that maybe some burned out seniors surely don't. Yeah, I, yeah, I, that seniors definitely, I think. <laughs> yeah. When I think in terms of ninth grade, my students come in and they are small just in body like they're tinier than everyone else and the amount that they grow in ninth grade really really reflects like even as tall as kids get they also their personalities change so much from september to june and so we always laugh that like ninth grade is the kids are like squirrels sometimes or puppies and then they go away for the summer and they come back in 10th grade and everyone's a little cooler always got a little deeper got a little more swag in the hallway all the time and i just think that that goes away so my my i've thought about middle school as well and i think what would push me that way is that kind of curiosity and that sort of like you know i, I just think it's it's out there and it's more readily available kids are more apt to ask questions they're more apt to be silly or to do like a crazy project or to compete in class like some of the games you were talking about to doing you're not going to get that with seniors so some of it is based on i think people's personalities like i am more silly so i i like being like that in class and that's a strength of mine but if you're more into like um just kind of deep discussions or really diving into a, a particular subject matter that seniors might be you know something that you would look forward to or in my school it's like pretty much 10 through 12 uh because it's it's a different it's a different animal and i think classroom management is way different ninth grade way more classroom management issues uh at our school but as you get older there are like i think ninth grade is really the only time we ever have fights in my school 10th 11th and 12th grade everyone knows each other everyone, there's no one to impress anymore you already have like kind of told everyone who you are and so you don't deal with that stuff as much and so i suspect that th that extreme becomes different like the higher you go in the grades and the lower you go in the grades. so that's gonna change some of that stuff as well um born to be a teacher just wanted me to say um and i, I love, love this so i say this because I, think, I believe in this very much that kids will believe in themselves if you believe in them and i think this goes back to what we were talking about before that if you really, really, and, and you have to keep telling kids because once or twice or three times or 10 times or 20 times might not be it. You have to tell some kids like every single day, like, I see you, you're important, and I really think you can do anything that you want to do, and I'm going to help you do that is, is really important. So thanks for even saying that. I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm, my wife picks these questions out because I can't. I can, well, she doesn't pick them, but she goes in order, but... Me yeah, it's hard. I, I see I the chat there. Multitask, man. If I'm looking at the camera, like I feel like I can't look at yeah. it. 
Um, so there's, they're on here and they're on YouTube as well. So there's like two different spots to look. Oh, um, okay. My man, the senior Spanish says, what at the end of the day makes what you do worth it for you? What, what makes, why, why come back 13 years in a row or, or 13 years now? Uh, just because it's, it's exciting. Each, each year is new. You get to try new things, and if it doesn't go well, you get a whole new year to try new, new students. You get, it's exciting, and it's fun, and, and it keeps, I feel like it keeps me young. You know, I, I really enjoy like, being in schools and, and, and learning. You know, each year I learn new things about myself. I learn new things about the kids. Um, I don't think there's any job like this that's just is so different every day and is so exciting every day. You know, I, I, my first couple of years, I worked in an office and it was just so dreary and dull. And I just, there's no way I could just, just do that as a job. Um, yeah. You know, and it's, and it's whatever you want it to be. Like if you just want to, like one, one year, just around, like I feel like I really hit my stride. I can mention this around like year four or five years, like six, seven and eight is where I kind of got the itch to try new things. You know, I, I was confident what I was doing and recreating the same things year after year and perfecting that. And I was like, man, I really want to try new things. And there was one year where it's like, you know what? Like I thought of like all the unit tests I gave and like, wow, I was like, man, if I like I'd give a test for every unit and like this is back when we had 45 minute classes and I had to basically give the whole class. I'm like, like losing all these class days. I was like, you know what? What if I just didn't give any tests this year? And like, I just tried, just, I'm not going to give any tests and like just kind of based like the learning on my own kind of just constantly talking to students, gauging them with other ways. And I found the end year, you know, I think they learned just as much that, that year, a different year. And then other years I like, like I'll try totally different things that year. And it gives us you experiment and try new things. And, um, and it's fun and stuff like that. You know, you can just, you learn so much. It's, 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 you can make each year new, which is so exciting. Yeah. I think that's a really important point. I mean, I, one of the things that kind of keeps me going is I keep up with students for years after I've had them. And I was just telling the story to someone the other day that I, when a student taught, like, I don't know, 13 years ago or something, I, one of those students found me on Instagram and was like, Hey, we're all going out to dinner one night. Do you want to come with us? And it was uh, dinner and drinks, she said. And I was like, what? Everyone's going to have drinks. I don't know if I can do that. And so, I like looked them up and I'm like, dude, everyone's super old now. And they're like married and stuff. And like some people have kids. I'm like, eh, I guess I can. And so I yeah. went out and it was so fun. And to hear students that had me for student teaching, right? So they only had me from September to winter break. Talk about like a lesson that I had or something that I did in class or something that was fun. And it's like your impact really, you just don't know sometimes. Like kids will not always tell you how much you meant to them or what your class meant to them or you know how much something impacted them good or bad and to hear from people like years later that i didn't even know still remembered my name like to invite me out and to hang out and hear about their lives it's like you're really really having an impact and it might not be on all the kids you ever wanted because you watched dangerous minds last weekend and now you're all stoked that you're gonna like change the whole school but there is like that one kid that thinks that he's not seen or not noticed and you can notice him and change everything in the world for them. So, um, good. Cool. Luke, there was one more. Luke, there's one more I wanted to ask you. 
Uh, okay. But I'm going to forget. The, on you now, it is. It flies by. Uh, so, uh, I don't. No, let's. I'm throwing this question out there anyway. <laughs> who's who's the quote unquote bad teacher in your school? And uh, and it was like the one that can't teach at all. So look, first of all, I have a very good feeling that Luke is going to be like me in this, and maybe you're not. Maybe Luke's about to put somebody on blast, and I have no idea. <laughs> but. First of all, professionally, I don't know if this is a good idea for me to talk about anyone like that. But what I would say is, um, if you are a teacher and you notice someone like that, like, has there ever been someone that's really struggled in your school? And if so, like, have you ever, like, stepped in? And what have you done about that? Or what did that look like to, like, help someone that you felt like needed in your school? Um, there's, I'm definitely not going to put anybody on blast like that. that that's, that's probably somebody that knows... Like either one of us, and is trying to. How many views we would get if we just start putting no, out? <laughs> um, yeah, like the teachers, the teachers I know that that tend to struggle are just the ones that just kind of get overwhelmed. They're trying to take on too much, and they're uh, letting the that the that the kids tend to take advantage of them quite a bit. Um, and. and kind of advice that that i have for those teachers is to just kind of recognize your role as the authority in the classroom and just kind of take control of that and try to uh find ways to to reassert that and it's it's far less often than i maybe even thought about early on like there's very few teachers that i feel like really really struggle there's some of them like they'll struggle for a year and they kind of find their groove or they realize that maybe teaching isn't for them but, um, yeah, and, and those teachers come and go, but the ones that stay tend to, you find your groove and you kind of find what works for you. And some, and I've also noticed too, that I, you hear things from students about like, oh, this, this goes on in this room and this goes on. And then the kids, then you talk to the teacher and it's like totally not what happened at all. You know, yeah. the students just tend to talk or sometimes you hear like crazy stuff going on in a room, like what is going on in there? And then you find out it was some like game that everybody was super excited about and was playing. And so I'm never even quite sure if I know when teachers are really struggling. You know, if I talk to them and they kind of express that to me, I do. Uh, but uh, I, I, I don't know if I even notice it as much because as in high school, you know, we're, we're, we're in our room and then I come out into the hallway during the passing periods and I'm talking to people that way. And, in, and at lunch period, you're, you're talking to your colleagues, but stuff goes on on the other side of the building. I have no idea what goes on in different wings. It's, yeah. it's weird. There's teachers who I don't see. You see them at the beginning of the year for back to school. You don't see them for months at a time for me. Yeah. And it's not totally. a big school like that either. No. So my school is either. I mean, we have maybe 500 students at my school, so it's really small. But ours runs like I see everyone that's on the first floor because I'm on the first floor. But if you're on the second or third floor, man, like I very rarely see you. So I really have to make a point to go into other teachers' rooms. And, and I would say that, like, if you have someone at your school – that is struggling and you don't know about it like you, the only way you're going to find out about that is like stopping in someone's room during their prep or after school or before school and saying hey i'm just wondering how things are going like i don't really get to see you that much and i like building that sort of community because what that's going to do is even if someone goes oh yeah, yeah it's great it's great it's great when they do have a problem if you become someone they feel comfortable with they might feel comfortable coming and talking to you about it you can just help that situation out and that just breeds a culture, I think, in school of like, 
teachers that are helping each other out. They're not just stuck in their own little bubble all the time. And I know I don't speak. I don't say that like being that person naturally. Like a lot of times I'll be like in the middle of it and I'm hustling through work or trying to grade stuff. And I'll think, you know what? I'm going to take 10 minutes and just walk the second floor. And if I see someone, just ask them how it's going. And then I'll go right back to work after that. But it has to be that kind of like deliberate to be able to do stuff like that. But um, Luke, thanks a lot, man, for coming on. This was uh, was great. I don't get to just. Yeah, this was really fun. You were right. The time flew by. Holy cow. That was so fast. Well, I forgot that we started at 8 32, and I'm like, dude, it's like totally late now. It's like almost 10 o'clock. Uh, it is past my bedtime for sure. Could you, real quick, just tell people where they could find you online? Uh, yeah, sure. But Students of History is just the moniker I took on uh, from our project I started years ago. Uh, Students of History, if you search it on Facebook or Instagram, it's there. The website is studentsofhistory.org um, that I started. Um, but it's pretty easy to find. Just search that. You'll find me. Um, but I would love to kind of continue the conversation with, with the teacher for sure. This was fun. And I'd kind of love to talk more. So as I'm doing my closing, uh, I'm speaking to you when I say this too, like, Folks, if you're watching this and you're watching the rebroadcast and you didn't get to ask a question, go ahead and leave a question in the comment section and I'll 100% get back to you on that. And Luke, if you go back into this uh, and go down below and see any like questions that you want to speak to or something that was maybe directly or indirectly like kind of close to you. Sometimes YouTubers are kind of interesting about answering stuff on other people's stuff, but uh, you know, these questions are for you too. So I would love for you to be able to answer that. Okay. And that's that, man. Thanks for being on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Cool. Have a good night, man. Peace. (laughs) Take care. Guys, thanks so much for watching. I really, really appreciate it. I hope you have the best week ever. Peace. And that's it for this week, gang. Look, if you ever want to have your question answered on Sunday Night Teacher Talk, all you have to do is show up at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on my YouTube channel, Real Rap with Reynolds, and I'd be happy to answer any question that you put out there. Nothing is off the table. Thanks so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great week. Peace.